0: Welcome to Financial Foresight. This podcast was made by four fee-only CFP professionals to help consumers understand the financial industry. Let's meet your hosts.
1: They're either naive, they're stupid, or they're lazy.
0: You know, the other thing is, is uh, my ceiling fan just went out in my kitchen today.
2: He is the commander in chief on this video right now. And uh, man, I am feeling controlled and I'm empowered and safe.
0: Don't stop for Dwight's baby. We can edit that out. <laughs> All of the podcast hosts are owners of RIAs registered in their respective home states. All commentary on this podcast represent the opinions of individuals and not their firms. All commentary is financial education, not financial advice. So let's get started.
1: We're live. Nice. Welcome to the Financial Foresight Podcast. Ian, Colin here today as well. Dwight couldn't make it today, but uh, guys, thanks for joining us. And I wanted to kick it off with a comment and just see and kind of pick your brains what you're talking to clients or just individuals or anybody about from the standpoint of like expenses and where can people review what they're spending on. Obviously, sometimes we have more time on our hands. Sometimes people have less depending on their situation in the work from home but anything that comes top of mind that you feel like is worth sharing that maybe would be applicable?
0: Yeah, sure. So I, I think the first thing that I start out with when clients are asking me what they should be evaluating right now is, um, is their amount of money that they're spending on food. It's really interesting because during this period of time, like obviously if you're getting like uh, pickup food from Harris Teeter, which is the local grocery store here, it costs an extra $5 to get it picked up, which is not a big deal. But so much, so much of food expenses is usually social, right? It's like going out to eat at a restaurant um, or going to do some activity, going out for drinks, something like that. And what I've noticed is that for some people, there's like a steep drop in what their food expenses have looked like recently. And for others at least in March, there was a huge spike because they were stockpiling food that they thought they would need. Right. So figuring out what the new normal is for you, as far as food costs is going to be pretty important because like, I just don't see this pandemic being over next week, for instance. So, you know, we might be two, three, four months of this. And so knowing what you're spending on that semi discretionary, but also necessity item is pretty important. You know, I'm all in favor of going out to eat and, or getting pickup rather from a local business, but just make sure that, you know, it's within the budget that you can afford. It's the first place I start.
2: Yeah, that's kind of a twofold answer. I guess I would give, um, you know, how to track expenses. I mean, of course you can use a lot a lot of different things such as to uh, like the paid version of right capital or e-money or any one of those, you know, budgeting expense trackers, which I think is always great. Some clients find that to be super helpful, especially if you have maybe some spending problems or it's sometimes it's kind of eye-opening to pull all of your credit cards and all the transactions onto one ledger because usually we just see you know one credit card here or maybe your business credit card over there and then some stuff is ACH through the bank. It's hard to bring that all into one Aggregate number, which in a lot of times can be really eye opening, that oh my gosh, my six hour coffees really do add up, or you know, all these little things that we find, and uh, maybe I do spend more on tea times than uh, what I expected. Uh, so, I always encourage clients to do that more of like a behavioral or an exercise tool, but. More and less, I always like from the budgeting standpoint, try to think of like the pay myself first and like think of you know how much do I need to be saving in order to accomplish my goals, et cetera, et cetera, and try to to get my saving taken care of first, then whatever's left over is kind of like my play money. Obviously, these times are a little bit different, and we're, uh, we're thinking more of like, you know how do we adjust to our new lifestyle and, and there seems to be really huge major divergence right it's like on one side if you still have your income and things are okay you're probably spending less than what you were a month ago because we don't have like to ian's point the social spending and and going out for drinks and all that stuff um and so i've kind of been finding clients to be on both ends it's like one side is either saving and uh this is actually almost kind of a, a stimulus a personal stimulus package for their it's their savings and on other side uh if, if your, your income is in danger, this could be a really scary moment. So it, it is kind of unfortunate. There's not a ton of people, it seems like kind of in the middle. It's like almost one side or the other. And uh, I really encourage people to to definitely be taking a hard look in the mirror and understanding what their emergency fund looks like. How much is their rent or the mortgage? How much is their car payments? How much would they expect for groceries? And making sure that when you're looking at that stimulus bill or that stimulus uh, paycheck coming in, that uh, the emergency fund is is fully loaded.
1: I think that's good advice, and I would just say the one area that I thought about and, and continue to think about and, and push people to to do is you know just look at property and cash insurance, so like home and auto. And if someone hasn't done that in a while, again, it's not huge dollars, but there can be significant you know hundreds of dollars of savings there, and you could go back and. And that's just something easy to do, review it, especially if you're not driving for a long time. To, you, know, you can adjust you know, what your deductible is. Um, there's a lot of different ways to, to make some changes there to, to see uh, savings. For me and for our family individually, like I saved $600 uh, from doing that and just going through it. And I just reviewed it probably 18 months ago. And so I just switched carriers from that standpoint. But yeah, basically the same coverage, $600. Like I'll Like take that. And that's, you know, that's worth the effort to at least go way. out and spend a little time. Yeah. Cause I mean, if someone said, Hey, here's 600 bucks, I think we'd all take that. So there, there's a lot of different areas that you think about those bigger, you know, expenses again, like to your point, Colin, like $6 coffees, all that other stuff. Yeah. So now you're making your coffee at home. Maybe you're not going out as much, but you know, it's not the end all be all uh, as far as like cutting all that stuff out. But you know, you look at how many people have lost their jobs and, you know, unemployment and those figures are, I don't know if you guys saw the gift that was floating around on Twitter of just the unemployment claims. And then the last two, just how huge that is compared to anything else in history. I think it went back sixties or seventies and it was like insane to see that. Oh, we'll share, we'll, we'll, we'll share the tweet. And I know it's floated around, but just to see that gif, I've shown it to clients and friends. Even we did one of those like zoom friends calls on Friday night with uh, buddies. And I was just like, Hey guys, look at this. This is insane. And they saw that. And they're like, wow. So I think it's just really, really eye to to see how, of an impact this is from that same point yeah
0: no no it is and I, I like colin's point that for some people this is almost a non-event like they're working from home or they're in an essential business so they're still going into work um, and maybe they're behaving a little bit differently during their day but from a financial perspective it might actually even be helpful because it's limiting the behaviors that they're spending money on um, but For other people, this is like devastating. And if you're in that camp where you have been economically, we'll call it devastated or or hit pretty hard by what's going on, maybe you lost your job and those things. If it's okay, Isaiah, I just want to run through a couple of quick resources to look at. So the first is the CARES Act added a huge bonus to unemployment claims. So a $600 a week bonus for the next four months. So make sure to file your unemployment claim if you lost your job or your underemployment claim if or partial unemployment claim if you've got your hours cut because you get $300 of that bonus plus your missed hours. So that can be very, very helpful. The second thing I would look at is depending on the industry you're in or the area you're in, there are tons of funds being set up around the country that are designed to help people who are in difficult situations. A good example is my apartment complex Uh, actually set up a rent payment fund that they are managing. That's a huge benefit. Um, So shout out to uh, Camden. They're trying to take care of their people. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, business communities are also creating grant programs and stuff in order to keep small businesses afloat during this period of time. And depending on your area, there may be more or less resources available, but that's stuff to look into. And then the last thing is I would encourage you to reach out to somebody like one of us. Um, we're more willing to give our time now than probably we ever have been. But then on top of that, I feel like we're always willing to get back. So if you just need 30 minutes of like, Hey, this is my situation. Can you walk me through it real quick? Um, I just need someone to talk to about this. A lot of, you know, financial planners and, and, and other CFPs or CFAs are willing to donate a little bit of their time to help out people in their community. So just, Take advantage of those resources. Make sure that you are filing for your unemployment benefits and uh, and that kind of stuff. But good luck. Absolutely,
1: yeah. And I know X Y, which we're all a member of. They've done a great job at you know rallying different people around to provide free advice and guidance to those that are affected and in need. So we'll make sure we link to that as well. As far as one of the outlets to see if there's someone local or if you want to talk to someone that's not local, make it easier for you to get that free advice so you never have to you know run into them. Um, do it that way too. But I think yeah, absolutely take advantage of the people that are there that are willing to give their time and advice and guidance. So yeah, for sure. Thinking about, you know, tweet of the week and trying to go in a different direction. We have the random number generator. Boom, boom, boom. boom and it boom, popped me out. It's Ian.
0: So I'm actually going to cover kind of a sillier tweet to lighten the mood before we dive back into some financial stuff. Uh, and this is, from a streamer called Floggy, who streams on Mixer, and she's a gaming streamer. So we're we're taking a, a right turn down one of my roads right now. And the tweet says, Oh God, it's Saturday and I still have turnips. Everyone tell me your turnip prices, please. Hashtag Animal Crossing, hashtag Animal Crossing New Horizon. And the reason that she tweeted this out, if you're not aware, is that there's a stalk market in Animal Crossing where you get two prices per day that you can sell your turnips on. And if you hold your turnips for seven days, they expire. So you have a limited window of six days To sell these turnips at a profit. So my buy price last week, for instance, was 93 bells per turnip, and bells are just dollars. So 93 dollars per turnip, and I sold mine at 181 per turnip. So I got almost 100% return. But this is this is just that panic mode that happens when you realize that you invested half of your Animal Crossing net worth into you know a root vegetable that might not be sellable in a couple hours. So so um, what I wanted to show show here is that uh investing fear exists even in video games so just make sure to uh to pay attention to what's going on but also don't panic um she was able to to find a friend who had a turnip sell price that was more than double what she paid for them uh went to their island sold her turnips at a profit and life was good because she didn't panic and sell them at a apparently 59 bells of turnip, which would have been a 50% loss. So just keep that in mind is that there's usually a reasonable, logical way to find an out to your situation. Um, and sometimes you feel like the, you have two hours and the sky is falling. Uh, but it's usually not. (laughs) So I just wanted to point that out. I also thought it would be a little bit of a fun lesson. That's Um, great.
2: Nobody's built wealth
1: panicking.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe they built wealthy on the other side of the panic. Cause they, <laughs> I mean, there's the the old quote that, you know, In times of stress, the, the rightful owners will, will regain the share of, you know, the stock or whatever they're talking about. And I mm. butchered that quote, but basically being patient, having, you know, a long-term view. And again, you have to understand what your situation is and, and when the money is, is needed. And yeah, I think being patient and being, you know, thoughtful around decisions is really, really important. So, you know, don't panic either being you know, have to sell or get too excited and emotionally charged to go do something when you don't necessarily need to. Sometimes it's just better to figure out where things are at and make sure, you know, like we talked about emergency funds and all those other things are in place prior to going and wanting to invest and do different things. So I'm a member of a couple different, you know, dental, uh, Facebook groups. It's been really interesting to see some of the stuff written in there. It just makes you, uh, scratch your head and say what on earth with people either thinking, you know this is what they want to do with all this money or the world is ending and you know what what are we going to do so there's just kind of this big span of you know the world is falling or this is the best opportunity since you know the stock market existed or something so it's just very very interesting
0: i actually find it really interesting how polarized people are on it like you either see this as the end of the world to your point or you see it as the best thing that's happened in your lifetime and for some reason, there's not a whole lot of people who are in between right now, <laughs> like there's not a whole lot of people saying, "Well, this is just a regular part of the cycle outside of the financial industry. They're either like, "Oh, we're doomed or "Oh, this is awesome." <laughs> it's like, "Okay, well, what if it's neither you know um i know I know that coronavirus is is unprecedented, and a lot of aspects of of this current crisis are are very different than previous crises, but it's still you know, the 10-ish year crisis that the stock market has every 10-ish years, you know, so.
2: in uh, in kind of going on that and building in today's, uh, as we're recording this on Monday, April 6th, the market is just rallying right now. I think we're up like four, almost 5%, four and a half percent. Was curious, I read something kind of interesting by uh, uh, Ben Carlson talking about, and, and they actually ranted a little bit with uh, Michael Batnick on their Animal Experience podcast of, is it possible that the economy could drop lower than the stock market? And they were just talking about how in the past, most of the time when GDP goes down, it only needs to go down like in a lot of cases, two, three, maybe 4%. And then the market ends up going down sometimes almost a multiple of 10, at least on average. And this, you know, I'm not holding to any a particular number here, but right now there's a very good chance that this that the GDP decline could be, what? I mean, I, you know, I, I'm scared to even throw a number out there, and I know usually it's annualized. So if people say 10%, they're actually talking about, you know, that's just what it would be uh, if uh, Q1 or Q2 was replicated four times. But if the market's now down, we're kind of back into that 20% range. It's Pretty amazing to think that GDP could go down 5%, 10%, which in historic terms, you'd expect a market to be down 50, 60, 80%. Then we're down like 2025. 20, you yeah, know, I think is, it's, it's, it's what, what, what do you guys think of that?
0: And I think it's interesting because it's a completely different world now. I I view it from an investing perspective, and and I'll talk about why in a couple of different reasons. One is like our our entire investing platform is based on technology now, right? So it's not like people are standing there physically selling shares, which like the last, uh, the allegory everybody keeps using for what's going on right now is like the Great Depression, right? Well, the Great Depression was completely different, like from what the world looked like at the time to what the world looks like now um also investors are like a lot better informed than they were and i know that we sometimes make fun of like the individual investor making bad decisions or whatever because we're financial planners and we like to tell jokes but like in reality there are blogs about finance now and they get read by millions of people like there's there is a lot more information out there and then i think last lastly acting in in favor of the market maybe doing something different is that the market is Um, very, very emotional and is driven a lot right now by like sentiment, right? Or at least that's how we characterize it. And I just feel like the media machine is completely powerful right now. Very different from what it used to be. You know what I mean? Like we're not getting our news over the radio now. We're getting our news from uh, stock tickers on news channels that are operating, you know, every second that the market is open. Very different.
1: Yeah. And the fed wasn't around to give away free money and just throw a ton of money into the market. So that's a big difference. Um, I, I will, you know, maybe douse the optimism with a little bit of water, but I think that's just kind of my personality. So yeah, I think there is a lot of similarities to the twenties, but yeah, it it is very different now, but it's still run by humans and humans haven't changed like the emotion, the fear and greed like that all still is prevalent, even though a lot more of the market is systematic today. There's a lot more uh, infrastructure and like circuit breakers and all these different things built into the market that won't allow it to do some of the things that it used to do. But at the end of the day, if you shut down the economy and people continue to lose their jobs, you cannot tell me that the market does not react to that. And only being down 25% is, I think, a miracle all in itself. But we are still very, very early. We're what, yes. six weeks, maybe five weeks into this right now? Um, and things take months to play out. So My whole thing is just be patient. Don't rush to make any sort of decision one way or another or another, especially if you're one that's really apt to put money in. If you're making automatic contributions, I said a friend like, hey, should I stop that? No, I wouldn't stop doing what you're doing. You shouldn't change that. Now, if you said, hey, I want to put this big chunk of money all in. Do I do it today? I I don't know. Maybe you kind of wait or do it slowly over time as well. That way you don't have to say, hey i put it all in in you know april and i should have done it in march or sorry in may or something like just take See that- time with doing different things and don't let yourself get too wound up in the, the situation of the moment
0: i agree with the meth, with the thought process there but i actually disagree a little bit with the methodology i think if you have a large sum of money that you were already planning on investing like i'm not saying rip out your emergency fund and throw it into the market you need that money you need to be able to float your expenses in case you lose your job but putting it all in the market right now is actually an interesting proposition because if like we're never going to know where the theoretical bottom is right like and until a year, two years after the fact, when everything has kind of played itself out to your point. And missing any number of good return days in the stock market severely hampers the return over a 10 year period. So I don't know if I agree with the idea that you should dollar cost average $100,000 into the market if you have a pure $100,000 to invest. I might just put it into the market and see what happens because if it goes down a little bit okay you lose you know ten thousand dollars temporarily but what if you know on the alternative it goes up everything from here like what if the economy starts recovering magically and i'm not saying it should because the coronavirus is is still in full force and we haven't even hit the peak infection rate yet but you know it it you, flip, I, I still view it as a coin flip. Everything's 50-50 right now, just like it is at any point. So if you have money to invest, just invest it. It's time in, not timing.
1: Eh, I, again, I would push back and disagree with that 100% That's from okay. the standpoint of the best days in the market. A lot of times are also in the middle of a bear market where you have a huge drawdown. Mm-hmm. And so you see these huge 5 6 12% moves up. It's not healthy. That's not healthy. Uh, market movements. And those typically happen in a in a bear market where you're already down 20%. So you will see bear market rallies where it's a fake. So it'll get people to come back in and it'll go lower. Again, if we look at the economy and people losing their jobs, like there's not going to be all this money that's going to be going in. There's a lot of people that are going getting yeah. close to retirement that need to be pulling money out in the next five to 10 years. So I would much rather be a little cautious versus being very, very optimistic that it's time in because what's the the upside right now? And you've played by probability. So if, if everything, and you've just seen two weeks of huge unemployment numbers, that will likely continue. The probabilities are not that the market rallies from here. The, the probabilities are the market probably goes down from here. And again, we don't know that for sure. But RBA Advisors, who's run by um, an ex-CIO uh, from Merrill, who I followed for a long time, they actually did a, a study on, looking at the market and if you were six months early to the bottom or six months late to the bottom, which is better if you look at it 12 months after the fact. So again, what's the bottom? You don't know, but again, six months early, or six months late, it's better to be six months late. So being patient again, preaching patience, I think is, is much more valuable. And again, if I have a hundred thousand dollars and I take time and buy all the way across just from a human emotion standpoint, if it drops another 25%, that person is scarred forever. And we're gonna talk about scarring here in a second in a, a blog post, but I mean that person, if they, they put in a hundred thousand dollars after being 20, down 25% thinking the market's gonna rebound, because we have been trained, especially anyone that's younger in the last 10 years that the market always recovers in a V shape. It's not always the way it happens.
0: No, sometimes there's some it's a W or yeah, there's, three there,
1: W's in a row. <laughs> there, 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 There's some structural reasons why. So again, and it's great on this podcast that we can have disagreements, but I would totally, not be one to put everything in if I was ready to, to put in well, money. Well,
2: think about your, what's your time horizon. I mean, if you're using equities as a wealth building tool, you damn better have 10, 15, potentially even 20 years. I mean, I think we can probably all agree that nobody knows in the short term and whether we want to call that, you know, one day, one month, one year, Two years, I mean, what, you know, when statistically the average, you know, I'm not really comfortable with the market until you get out to about a five-year period. You know, I think yeah. it's quite honestly gambling otherwise. But what's not gambling is betting on human ingenuity <laughs> who are we're on this 10,000-year streak of continuing to have better and better lives. So if, uh, you know, if we're kind of thinking really long-term, I feel like time in the market, it's kind of hard to, to argue. And, and even uh, if we're talking about you know, that type of time horizon, 20 years, I mean, we're, we're probably going to see a Dow 50,000. So you know, if you're talking about buying the Dow at 2,300 versus 2,200, oh my gosh, that seems like a huge spike between now and then. But at Dow 50,000 or whatever, it's, you know, yeah, hey, I'd, I'd love yeah. to buy that price. 22, that's thousand twenty thousand that's both great
0: that that's a better that's a better synthesis of my argument as well um, I, I just always favor doing the simple thing um, I do I do understand the dollar cost averaging idea though which is that it provides that emotional cushion against the idea that you bought at the wrong time. Cause you'll have bought at all the times over the next five months or whatever, however long you decide to dollar cost average that money into the market. So I guess, I guess you have to work with the individual that you're working with and help them make that decision in the way that most emotionally suits them. Maybe that's the answer is that like everything in financial planning, there's not like a correct answer. There's just the answer that works best for the client. Um, but I'm always in favor of just putting the money in the market and if assuming we don't need it for anything else right in the next five to 10 years and just not thinking about it as much as possible, um, in the, in the next period of time. But th- that is where reasonable minds can disagree. Okay. Um, okay, well, why don't we move on to the, to the article that you wanted to cover to, to wrap up here today?
1: Yeah. So the article was written by Morgan Housel, um, from the collaborative fund. He wrote for the Motley Fool for a long time. Wonderful, wonderful writer. Um, just fantastic stuff. And he wrote an article called wounds heal scars last, which again kind of goes into what we were just talking about. But you know, the two key points that he brings up is a generation of super savers who avoid leverage and are less swayed by opportunity costs. And we'll kind of dive into that. And the second piece was a greater desire for a strong social safety net driven by the realization that even an extreme preparation cannot fully prepare you for unseen shocks. Because again, if we go back, you know, within basically a month, the market was down 30%. That's Mm. extreme. The market was
0: down 30% and, you know, 10% of Americans lost their jobs. So like, it's not just the market being down. It's like a huge one, two punch, right?
1: Well, and that's, that's typically the thing that, you know, my argument a lot of times for, you know, the way that you should put money to work and all these other things is, you know, these typical like awful situations like this coincide with also not having so you don't have any money that you invested and you also lost your job so now you're doubly screwed from that standpoint so that's why the
0: emergency fund piece is so important yeah and it is and i think that
1: that conversation that you know we we all have with clients and they kind of brush it off maybe in the last you know couple years now that conversation is going to come to the forefront a lot quicker see (laughs) yeah yeah, like we get get to play
0: the i was right card every every time we have that conversation from now on.
1: Yeah, but he talks about, you know, an economic decline is painful, an economic crash is devastating, but overnight collapse is in a league of its own. He said optimism relies on having confidence in what the future will look like. The longer your field of vision, the better, which I think coincides with both of what you just said. The severity of our decline, particularly unemployment claims, is already unprecedented in modern times. But it's the speed of the decline that will leave its mark, convincing a generation that no matter how secure they feel today, it can be gone tomorrow, literally tomorrow. And I thought that was a great piece that he had in here. And then they looked at, in the Great Depression, and again, we talked about that in the 20s, the average participation rate for the generation that experienced the 1930s Great Depression as a teenager or an adult is significantly lower than all other cohorts as far as how they invest in the future. They just were really, really conservative and missed out on a lot of gains because the cohort after them, which experienced the post-war boom, um, they had a completely different experience. It's kind of like, where did you start So like for for us, like we've seen the great financial crisis, we've seen this and our peers have. And then you have other people that, you know, have, if I'm a baby boomer in my earning years, it was dot-com bust, great financial crisis. Now this, it's like you got hit with three big things that really probably, you know, really cut into your savings as far as what was there. right and
0: it's not like the average investor has the field of view and the research to look at this like you know morgan does or or we do where it's like oh this is just the next thing in a long line of generational defining financial experiences it's like this is this is the thing for a lot of people that will leave an imprint the scar that he's mentioning in the article Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. yeah i I, i'm with you it's going to be very different i actually so when i read this article i thought that the the first part was interesting but i i more feel like the second part is what's going to be true i feel like the value of relationships and being close with people is going to go up for like infinite reasons during this period of time a because that's what we're all craving right like we we all want to interact with people because we're all stuck in our house with like our immediate family or whatever or roommates and and while those people are amazing you can't just talk to the same people every day and feel like you you are experiencing something socially so so that will increase the value but then also i think what he's more alluding to with this is that the social network, the structure that is around our lives is going to become a lot more valuable because also of the financial resources we can draw on. You know, your friends are more likely to help you by buying you some extra food if they have an income and you don't than anybody else's and, and those sorts of things. So I think I, I totally agree with this number two. I think the number one, the super savers thing might be true, but it's going to be a big leap from where we are today. I, I think that millennials and and maybe even Gen Z are some of the people who are most likely to have accumulated credit card debt in history. Like I I sit down, 90% of the people I sit down with have credit card debt and student loans and a car loan when I sit down with them the first time. You know what I mean? And 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 I do help them out of that. That's part of what we do. But that doesn't mean that the next person I sit down with won't have all those things. So maybe this is the thing that causes that dramatic shift that says, okay, we're going to start accumulating cash and stop leveraging ourselves so much. But it's going to have to be a big change for a lot of people. And it's going to take a lot of time for that change to be reflected in actual financial statements because, you know, you have a generation of people with consumer debt.
2: Yeah, I feel like a lot of that stems from just like how culture has changed with its uh, uh, appetite for debt. I mean, I know when I was in high school, and and i was going you know talk, talking about college nobody ever really ever talked about student loans and your ability to repay them and things like that it was just what you did it was totally normal and uh, i think as this uh, you know you got to you got to pay the piper eventually here and maybe as this starts to pan out maybe the next generation we'll call them uh, the zoomer generation here born uh, via video con- conferencing Um, Uh, you know, it's, uh, we'll, we'll see if maybe they're going to be thinking a little bit harder about debt and, uh, their ability to repay it and the opportunity cost with that. Um, that's, it's going to be incredible to see how this all pans out.
1: I know that a couple different people have made comments to me that, you know, any future employer, they're going to ask how they dealt with their staff and, and employees during this time period, because it is wild to see how many people have been laid off. And this is not like just hourly workers. Like there are people that had significant jobs that made a lot of money. It's not just college degree or not. Like they are out of work or, Mm -hmm. you know, they were forced to close. So like for me, um, you know, dentistry was extremely resilient through the the great financial crisis. But when you're forced to close because of COVID, no one has a plan for that when your business just has zero revenue now. Like how do you deal with that? And it is very, very different. So I know a lot of people have said that's going to be one of the first questions they ask in interviews. And I think that's going to be a benefit to employers that said, this is how we took care of our people during this.
0: Yeah. Like imagine, imagine interviewing with Patagonia after this and asking them that question. They're like, oh yeah, we uh, suspended all operations and paid our employees their full salaries, which is what they're doing right now. It's like, okay, yeah, I want to come work for you because clearly you value your employees. You took care of them versus, you know, and I'm not saying all businesses have infinite resources, but, yeah. you know, versus a company that had to lay off all their employees because they didn't keep enough cash reserves and were too leveraged or were too focused on growth. They were reinvesting all their money into marketing or something like that. That is that is a difficult conversation to have with a future employee.
2: Do you think this really stifles the entrepreneurial spirit? You know, I feel like For the last 10 years, we've been in this incredible bull market when the market's never going to go down, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't know, like this whole like go start your own business, start a tech firm, start this like jets. I don't know, entrepreneurship. It's so cool. Uh, And all of a sudden now it's like, nope, you're out of money. You're out of work. uh, Now you're kind of toast. And other people are like, well, hey, I'm at this big company. I have all these benefits. They're supporting me. Like, even though we're not able to go into the office, I'm still getting paid, et cetera. Uh, does that shift maybe the economy moving forward and our, even the innovation we see in the next decade? So many companies,
1: I say so many companies were born out of the last financial crisis. And they, I mean, Mm -hmm. I remember seeing the list of, Hey, here's all the businesses that were made. So I think a lot of people are going to have more time on their hands to figure out, you know, Hey, if they wanted to chase something, they're going to do it. But I think there definitely is going to be a change of maybe the people that were motivated by, I want to do this because there's a lot of money in it versus I want to do this because I'm really passionate about what's going on. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, but it'll be interesting to see. I
0: I feel like this to Isaiah's point is just going to shift the lens on what entrepreneurship is, right? For the last 10 years, entrepreneurship was attractive because the economy was doing well. So you can make good money consistently if you had a decent business plan, Right. Like not saying that all businesses were successful over the last 10 years because we still have the same failure rate, but you know, there was less risk quote unquote inherent with it. Like there, it was a booming economy. You could do a lot of cool stuff and, and find investors and all that kind of thing. And I think that to his point, what, what's going to change is that the people who are getting into entrepreneurship are going to be getting into it again for the seeing a need that they need to solve within the community and less because they think they can, make $10 million over the next 10 years. Um, And and it's going to be less about, you know, wanting control of your income and your destiny, so to speak, and more about, I really, really want to do this to help somebody, or I really, really want to do this because this, this need is not met in my community at all. That kind of thing. Uh, That would be my guess. I don't think entrepreneurship ever goes away. I think it changes. Like, yeah. because there's always going to be somebody who's willing to take the risk if nobody else is willing to. We have enough people in our country, like 300 million people, that that's always going to be the case.
2: Yeah. I wonder that's if that's my is, take. I think that's a great take. And I liked uh, Isaiah's comment of maybe more entrepreneurs do this because or actually even maybe you said it, <laughs> we, we kind of all, we kind of agreed, so agreed. <laughs> so yeah, yeah uh, that more entrepreneurs are going to be uh, coming out of the woodwork, not because they want to make money necessarily, but because they just would, like almost to the extent they'd rather not be alive than not do their passion project. Like if you have that type of desire to start your business, then uh, you're going to do it in any type of economy whether we're booming or busting uh and and maybe that's uh where a lot of this awesome innovation and awesome companies that are born out of disaster uh they really get their they hit their stride and they it's just super genuine and and they're not trying to fake it
1: i think that's a great spot to uh kind of wha- wrap up the yeah. conversation wrap up. <laughs> up leave that in um yeah any closing thoughts
2: um, I would say, uh, if stick to the emergency fund, stick to your plan. Um, if you can survive this and, and continue to, uh, build wealth in sustainable way, um, I feel like this, this type of recession or this type of bear market could be a launch pad for you. Um, just make sure that we don't, uh, get overly greedy and become, uh, individual stock pickers and, and, you know, starting to, to bet our money down. Um, just keep sticking to the plan and, uh, it's all going to fare well.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I'll get a little high-minded and philosophical here and say that uh, I like to equate market drops to Dante's Inferno, which is like, they really suck. Like, if you read Dante's Inferno, he's not having a fun time going to hell. He's really not. Uh, but when he comes out on the other side, he's pure and clean. And this that's what happens with our economy every so often, right? So the coronavirus, season. I'm really sorry that this is difficult for a lot of people, but you know the businesses that survive this, the the households that survive this will be stronger for it. I hope, and uh, good luck to everybody out there.
1: Yeah, for me, the last thing I'll say, I do think the markets are resilient. I'm not always negative around things. I just think people need to be patient, and you're going to get an awesome opportunity, a generational opportunity to invest. And if you have excess, um, just be patient with it. Talk to the people that you trust in your circle. And again, I go back to Collins. Point. like stick with the plan be who you are don't go from being like hey i'm a i may I buy the market and that's what i do to now i'm trying to pick which airline's going to survive or which cruise line that to me is just a recipe for disaster and not a wise way to do things so just make sure you think about that and we will be back talking soon and we'll continue to bring good stuff thanks so much for listening Thanks so much for listening. We hope we were able to make you laugh and allow you to learn something. For all inquiries and questions, please email financialforesight at gmail.com. If you're on Twitter, feel free to give us a follow and ask a question there as well. Remember, the podcast is for general information and entertainment purposes only, and you should not consider what we've talked about investment or tax advice. Please consult your professional team before implementing anything we talked about. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts and maybe leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you, and thank you so much for listening. We'll be talking again soon.